Is your business stuck in one spot struggling to grow? Our eight-week ProFit Business Accelerator at winninggym.com slash grow has your back. Sign up now for easy wins, no more struggle, just straight growth. You've got this. Now let's head on back to the show. You are listening to the Built to Grow podcast. All right. Welcome back to the Built to Grow podcast. I'm your host, Tim Lyons, on a special Zoom episode today, joined as always by Randy Angston. What's up, buddy? Good day, friend. How are we doing? Good, good. We have a special guest today. Corey Sterling of the Conscious Council is joining us today. He's going to talk all things legal in the fitness industry. Uh, Corey, thanks for joining us all the way from Brazil today. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. And I feel like you guys are, are good buddies. So I feel like even though we're very far away, it's sort of like we're chilling on a couch chatting. Yeah, well, that's exactly the way we like to do it. Uh, most people that join, uh, you know, kind of our guest on our show feel the same way. We just, it's real open, honest conversation. We will obviously ask you some specific questions, but we'll take it in any direction that you want to go. Cool. Let's, let's chill and talk about the law, which is what I feel like everyone's always doing anyways. Right. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't think anybody's, sure. I don't think I'm talking about the law. That's not the, the, the most exciting thing, especially if you're trying to uh, get out of a problem, but uh, let's, let's get a, let's get a little background on you, Corey. You mentioned you do your, your business online. You're based out of Canada, but you serve everyone, huh? Yeah, we, we, I started an online law firm five years ago. I love traveling. So I decided that, you know, I was miserable working at a big law firm wearing a suit, blah, blah, blah. You know the story. And I just thought traveling has always been my biggest passion. Why don't I try to take being a lawyer online? And at the time I was a group fitness instructor, worked at a couple gyms, was a yoga teacher. And I thought, why don't I just try to work with people who I love working with and who I'm friends with anyways? So those were the, the two ideas of how it started being online and working in specific industries. And over five years, we've, our law firms won a, two awards. We've got more than 270 five-star reviews. And I, lo- I love working with fitness professionals and making law fun for them. So that's a little bit about me. Very, very cool. And you serve, how many countries do you serve right now? Like are your clients? We got our first client in Argentina yesterday. So just off the top of my head, it's South Korea, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, United States, Canada, United Kingdom, parts of Europe, South Africa. We got one in Croatia, which was cool. Um, so yeah, so it's sort of just growing and evolving. And the thing, the thing that we realized is that fitness professionals are looking for someone who understands their industry and how the law applies to their industry. So on a daily basis, I'm literally having the same conversation with gym owners and the idea is that we can spread that message and share the information so that it doesn't have, just have to be a one-on-one conversation that, you know, every, all gym owners can understand that the law is not that complex when it comes to what they're going through and that there is someone who has an answer to the questions they have. Yeah, well, that's that's really unique, Corey. You mentioned like all these different countries. Uh, you know, the, the thing that come to, came to mind as we were getting on the show is like, you know, how does that law translate into different countries? Do you have to understand the specific laws for each individual country you're working with? No, what we we're only called in the United States and Canada and we have a solicitor in Australia. But what happens is people find us and want to work with us because we understand the specifics of their industry. 
So what ends up happening is that all of our agreements are drafted at best legal practices according to the industry. And people make the choice. If, if we're not called in the jurisdiction, we'll say to them like, hey, you know, we don't have a lawyer in Argentina on the team, but these agreements are at best practices and you can have someone else review them if you like. And, and you know, there's hundreds of people who want to work with us because of the way that we understand the ins and outs of, of this particular industry and, and the common problems that plague you know, fitness professionals. So that's sort of how it's just, it just happened naturally that originally I started, it was only going to be in Canada. Then I got some U S lawyers, we expanded and just the more and more that people need help, we're here to help them. Yes. And the, the fitness industry needs a lot of help on a lot of things. Legal would be absolutely one of those things. The first thing that kind of comes to mind is, you know, you got people working out in a facility using weights, you know, potential risk for injury, even death. What are you, uh, you know, like what's your, your best practice there to, to make sure that you, you, your liability waivers are just lock solid so that somebody couldn't say, Hey, I didn't know, or, or I, I didn't, you know, I can, they can sue the gym uh, for them maybe being negligent and getting hurt. Yeah, the, the really important thing is that the waiver of liability is drafted specific to your business and the way that you operate and the types of services that you offer and the way that you offer the services. So just as a very high level perspective on waivers of liability, it's only going to work if it actually covers what you do and how you do it and you clearly outline the risks. And, and I've been part of this many, many times where someone will suffer an injury and they try to come up with an argument to get out of signing the waiver of liability. Now, if it's a client who I've worked with and I was able to draft, you know, customize a tailor-made waiver of liability for them, then it's very easy for us to respond. You know, we listed the activities, we listed how the activities are being done. We listed the risk. The specific risk was the one that actualized and resulted in damage. And the person agreed to release us from any liability as a result. End of story. When people copy waivers of liability, when they use outdated waivers of liability, if the waiver doesn't cover what their business actually does, then it's almost equivalent to not having a waiver of liability at all. So specificity is really the name of the game when you're talking about having a waiver of liability. Yes, I could see that being a huge problem in this industry. Um, and we were just talking about this yesterday, Randy, about people just copy and pasting things, trying to oh, get yeah. a template and, and just running with that. I think you're at a huge risk. Is that what you're saying? Definitely. And like, and, and just as an example of, of, of cost, I have a client who hired me yesterday to help resolve an issue around an agreement that they copy and pasted. And they're, they're out $46,000 because of an agreement that they, they copy and pasted, they borrowed from their cousin. It's always the same story. And it look for on my end, all I can do is stand on a soapbox and try to, you know, get everyone practicing proactive law and turning their minds to the importance of resolving these issues before they materialize or happen. But it, it, and that, and, and I wish I could say, you know, it happens, you know, once a blue moon that I, I run across a file like this, but no, it's quite common that someone copies something. They don't understand what they're signing. They don't understand what they're getting their members to sign. And then a problem real like actually happens. And then it's, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and, you know, you're, you're just upset. You're stressed. You're not focusing on growing the business. You're not focusing on being the best for your clients. All of your energy is going towards legal fees, paying this off. And like, that's just not fun. 
Yeah. And I, and I don't want to spell doom and gloom for the industry, but yes, this is a true business. People are, are looking, they are, people are very litigious these days. I think you probably agree to that. They just, they're looking for a handout most of the time, you know, even if it was their fault in some way, they're just trying to look for a loophole to get that, get that settlement. Right. Some, I don't see too much of that, but what I, I, I'm all about being, you know, one of the taglines for a law firm is like lawyers and real people. So I'm all about practicing real law. And just for everyone who's listening, just so you understand what the process looks like, something's going to happen or someone is going to allege that something happens. And then they're going to either send you a demand letter or they're going to get a lawyer to send you a demand letter. And it's going to say, hey, you screwed up because of the mistake that you made. I've now lost all of this money or I can't go to work. And I, this is what it's going to cost to, you know, make me whole again. Now, when you're copying and pasting agreements result trying to resolve the issue right away is going to be very very difficult because you don't have a strong legal position to combat whatever the person is alleging and then you get drawn into negotiation and ultimately a settlement like it's very rare that that will actually go to to, to court mm-hmm. conversely what I, what I do with my clients is I, we practice practical law so I say look we, we t- I teach my clients something called the screenshot defense you take a screenshot of the agreement that you had the person sign, you you know highlight the provision that relates to whatever it is that they're speaking about. If it's a membership cancellation, if it's someone who works on your team who wants to allege they were an employee, not a contractor, if it's someone who alleges that they got injured in your space, you send a screenshot of the agreement, you highlight the provision, and you just say, look, your claim, here you clearly signed away your legal rights, your claim is frivolous, if you pursue it or if I have to spend the money to defend this, I will counterclaim, including legal costs and fees. Like you have no legal position. It's completely obvious that you're in the wrong and you have no rights. Mm-hmm. And when you return that way and then then it's like, OK, the, the person who's, you know, was barking up the tree looking for a handout, they realize, OK, a, I actually have no legal position. B, in the event that I continue to pursue this and I'm wrong, I'm going to end up losing money and be susceptible to paying thousands of dollars in legal fees. And that's like ideally that's where all of the situations stop. That's that's sort of how my law firm is designed to help fitness professionals. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, we, and you know, we need, we need guys like you protecting us, right? We're not, we're not lawyers. We're, we're out trying to kind of help people and we, you know, leave ourselves open to this kind of stuff. Here's a situation I heard about um, not long ago. I'd love to hear how, how this, you know, you would have protected this guy or if this guy's even protected. I, this, this guy had uh, installed some eye hooks into a wood board into his wall. He tied a carabiner to that wood hook in, with a, like a band with a handle on it. And so this lady was facing away from the wall doing like overhead extensions. The eye hook came out of the wall and smacked her and cracked her in the back of the head. It was a homemade piece of equipment. Um, but like, that's a bad deal for this guy, right? It's, it's, it's a bad deal for anyone. Let's look at what the best legal practice is or for anyone who's listening, how you'd want to be prepared before something like this happens. So first things first, you make sure that your insurance covers you for exactly all of the activities that you're doing. So I assume that this particular eye hook TRX, what it sort of sounds like something TRX-y. It, it, did I, do I get that right in the visualization? Uh, a hook and she's looking. Figure a piece of a two by four bolted to a wall, 
Uh, I hook, yeah. I hook into the wall in a bungee style uh, band, uh, you know, like with, with like okay. uh, with pole that popped out of the wall and hit her in the head. Okay. Firstly, that sucks. And I hope that she feels better. It's like, that's part of being a real person and realizing that these are stories where people's lives change. So I hope that she feels better. Best legal practices are before you install new equipment, ensure that your insurance will cover you in the event that something happens. The worst situations that I see is when people try new things for their gym and it's not covered under their insurance, which is really, really troublesome. Um, Secondly, if once you install that equipment and you start now using elastic bands, um, you would want that would need to be included in the waiver of liability is something that you do so that in the event that she gets hurt, um, you told her that she'd be using elastic bands. It's possible. You know, is it a foreseeable injury? Yes. I ultimately the legal answer to this is was there negligence in the installment of the particular equipment? That's that's ultimately what it comes down to. The waiver of liability can help to a degree, but it's almost it, it's very, very rare that a waiver that someone can contract out of gross negligence. So let's say it was installed poorly below industry standards. That would be something that's gross negligence. And then in that case, the waiver wouldn't really apply, but mm-hmm. you would need to make sure insurance covers you for the issue. Yeah. That's the answer. And this, and this, this is something I see happen a lot in gyms, especially trying to, you know, save money. They install things and create like things themselves. And now they're at even a bigger risk, especially when something like that happens or even even tim i mean we've made points of you know it's it's generally not the best use of an owner's time to spend their time repairing equipment you know if you're putting your hands on it and taking that risk and assuming that risk i'm sure liability transfers there too hey are you a gym owner whose business is in full swing pulling in at least steady 30k or more per month and now you're ready to ask yourself what is next well The Iron Circle is ready to show you that path forward. As a part of our exclusive community, you'll be surrounded by like-minded, success-driven gym owners just like you who are taking their businesses to the next level. Visit our website, ironcircle.net, to apply to be a part of the next Iron Circle group and let us turn your successful gym into a thriving fitness legacy. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, Randy, you've got it. And and one thing that... An example of negligence is like, let's say that you purchased equipment and they say that it needs to be maintained every two years and you haven't maintained it for four years. That's like, you can have a great waiver of liability. You can have all the things, but that, that is the definition of that you had a responsibility to repair the equipment within a certain time and you didn't do it. So it, it's not, we're not reinventing the wheel here. I'm, I don't think I'm really asking anyone to do anything that crazy, but One, because the times are changing and people always add new activities in new ways, i.e. pre-recorded content, online classes, whatever it is, the waiver has to cover you for that. And then B, you just want to make sure that if you're doing something that you could show that you at a minimum followed a basic professional standards and we're not operating below that. Got it. Got it. Very cool. Well, let's, let's change gears a little bit. This COVID, uh, especially in Canada, where you're from, we've got a couple of gym owners up there dealing with new shutdowns. Uh, Ontario, I think just got the word Monday, like a couple of days ago that they're shut down for two weeks, which means eight weeks, right? What, what do you tell a gym owner that is fed up with what's going on and they want to fight back and not lose their business? Because as soon as something like this happens, a flood of cancellations happen, 
And now this gym owner is stuck in limbo. What do I do? He wants to stay open. He can't really service these people. They're, they're leaving like, you know, a one way exit door out the back. And now he's trying to save his business in the U S there's a lot of, you know, freedom fighters, patriots that are really fighting back hard on, on this stuff. I don't feel like it's happening too much in other countries, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, hopefully it doesn't last long, but what would you tell a gym owner up there? That's, you know, again, the fifth shutdown in the last two years, and he's trying to keep his business alive. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I have, a, I have a lot of clients who are based in Canada, so it, it really hits home and, mm. and it, and really unfortunate that these measures are taken and that gyms have to shut full stop. Right. I'm heartbroken about it as, as you guys are as well as the gym owners are. It's the, the theme of everything that's happened and it's really smacked us in the face again, is that we're unable to continue to operate the business with any semblance of predictability of what's going to happen which we, we already went through this in 2020 where it was like, now we're shut down. What do we do? The, the legally here's I'll, I'll give a legal tip of what, how business owners can have their membership agreements drafted so that they're protected to some degree when something like this happens. But the first thing that I'll say is that it's all about community management. It's all about the relationship that you have with your clients. It's all about be, you know, foreseeing this, being prepared, online content, finding a way to keep people engaged, it's that's the name of the game, like controlling the controllables. Yeah, exactly. And what, what you can do is let people know what expectations are, what's happening on your end, benefits of them staying with you. Like that's as a lawyer, that's not my job. But my the, my clients who succeed and are able to thrive during these times are the ones who are focusing on that. So that's the not legal answer. But to me, that's what the real answer is, is how you're able to manage that community. Now, I'll give an example of, of something that we did with our clients and their membership agreements to help protect them. So the, the biggest issue that was happening when studios were forced to be closed is that um, you had a standard membership agreement for someone who's able to use the gym. The gym's shut. You're no longer offered able off. You're no longer able to offer the services. And as such, at, by law, consumer protection laws, everyone's entitled to a refund. We redesigned the membership to include either or online content and online classes plus in-facility services. So that means that if the in-facility services are closed, but you still have the online content going, at law, you are still fulfilling your end of the agreement. And then if someone wants to cancel, it would have to be with 30 days notice, right? Yeah, okay. So that, that's an example <clears throat> where it's not like, oh, we have to shut the doors and everybody wants to cancel. Like ideally you have a membership agreement that incentivizes people for staying with you for not canceling during that time, right? If I was a gym owner in Canada and I have that sort of gym, I would send a newsletter out to all my members. Maybe I'd record a video and explain like, hey, you know, according to that we're still able to provide our services online. If you stay with us, you know, there will be a 20% discount for the months that you stay with us. For anyone who leaves and then wants to come back, this is what the process is like, you know, an $85 registration fee, which is how you make up for it. So yeah. it's not ideal, but all I'm saying is, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And legally you can ensure that you at law are still providing the services for the compensation and as such, you're not breaking any rules. Oh yeah. It's being proactive. Um, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, keep your doors open and screw the government, but you'll probably end up running into bigger problems down the road. I bigger think. law issues. 
Yeah. Um, so now what, so this is coming up right now. We, we have a, a mastermind group called the iron circle and um, some of our, we were having some chatter. In, in fact, today it was discussed in there and um, you know, they've got some staff that have been exposed. Some are positive. Some are, are kind of like waiting it out for 10 days or so to make sure that they're clear on, you know, not bringing the virus back into the gym. What, what does the law say about, compensation for these employees that are out during the COVID, like having it or even being uh, like coming in contact and staying out of the gym for five days. What, what do you like, what's the law say there? Hey, 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 Tim Lyons here. Look, I know running a gym day in and day out can be a challenge. It's often hectic and stressful, but remember you are not alone. And if you ever feel weighed down by the pressure and you're searching for a lifeline, we've got just the thing. I would love to invite you to our eight-week ProFit Business Accelerator program at winninggym.com slash grow. Listen, it's designed to give you tangible results. It transforms your struggle into sustainable growth, and it is a game changer for so many gym owners out there. Again, that's winninggym.com slash grow. Check it out, and let's turn those day-to-day challenges into triumphs. All right, now let's get back to the show. That's firstly, that's a great question. And that's a question that I've never been asked and I've never really turned my mind to it. So mm. that's something that I'm going to do. What I can tell you is the answer will lie in, it'll be a jurisdictional question. So employment issues are always dealt with on a state level and on a provincial level, at least if we're talking about Australia, Canada, United States, I'll just cover it there. So in that particular area, subject to an employment agreement, an employment agreement will have something about sick days. In my perspective, this will qualify as a sick day. So the first question is going to be, what does the employment agreement say? If you have, you know, if you copy and pasted an employment agreement that doesn't cover you for anything like that, Every jurisdiction will have basic employment laws that will be applied to a relationship, even if there's no written agreement between the parties around it. So that's where the that's what the the answer specifically is. But I'm gonna I, I've made a mental note and I'm gonna look into that and I can shoot you an email and and let you know what I find. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just kind of mention how we've we've approached this. Uh, we've paid our team. We try to you know obviously it's hard enough to find staff these days. Anyways, we pay them and try to keep them happy and just you know let them know that look we're, we want to support you. You're helping us by not bringing that stuff in. Um, but at the end of the day, they could you know they're they're getting paid for nothing, which is kind of it stings a little bit. But in the grand scheme of things, I think that's your best approach. Or if you have uh, sick days that are run over, you maybe you, you extend them a little bit and, you know, trying to help those, those coaches out, you know, you, the last thing you want to do is lose people right now. That's kind of, yeah. you bite it. You just bite the bullet a little bit. It's, it stings, but it is what it is. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing about, you know, managing your team is the same as managing your members and look, mm-hmm. it's going to be, case by case basis for each individual business and how long you've worked with them. What do they want? Right? Like it also never hurts to ask them what they think is fair in a situation. Um, but if you have a bunch of employees, it would make sense to have an employment agreement and then just policies, right? Like when you have a policy, it's very non-confrontational and you can say, Hey, well, this is what we're doing with everyone on the team. You could have a team meeting with everyone, you know, come up with a policy get it in writing and let everyone know so that there's clarity and you can have a team meeting and say, Hey, how does everyone feel about us paying, you know, X percentage of time if you're off with COVID mm-hmm. and 
if everyone agrees in the meeting, then your goal, you've got a policy that everyone agrees to. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, this is uh, everything's like all these questions are floating in my head now. That after, yeah. So hopefully, you know, this doesn't happen a whole lot to gyms, but it does after 12 years, this has happened to us a few times um, where, you know, somebody signs an annual agreement and they want to fight you back on it and all these things. Um, the, the kind of like word around the campfire in the industry is, you know, hey, we're not going to hold them to the agreement anyway. We don't want to get a bad review because of it. So we usually just let them out, you know, anyways. So what's the point of having an agreement or having a termed agreement in place? Just go to month to month. Uh, my, my argument there is, you know, it keeps the honest people honest. And of course, yes, yeah, somebody can cancel their card and disappear and never talk to you again. What, you know, normally what I see is gyms usually don't get their way in the deal. It usually kind of falls on the consumer. They get out of the agreement and, you know, you basically out the money. What, what is, uh, like, what are you seeing and what do you recommend uh, in the fitness industry about term agreements, like 12 month agreements versus uh, open agreements and, and being able to protect the business around that? That's it's it's a it's a really good question. And so the first thing that I'll say is how I've seen it go down is similar to what you're describing in the sense that a lot of the times the consumer will prevail mm-hmm. out of sheer dedication to, to continue to pursue it. Right. The the typical chargeback scenario is they'll have paid something. They'll re- go to their credit card, they'll, they'll officially file um, uh, a complaint and they'll ask for a chargeback for the amount. At that point, the onus would be on the business to demonstrate that they are in good standing. When it comes to annual agreements, just so you know, the, the rules are different because the longer that someone is paying for something, like the longer period that of the service being provided, the more windows and, and basically cushions that consumer has to get out of the deal. As opposed to if you buy, if someone buys a t-shirt, they buy a t-shirt, they put the t-shirt on, there are very specific rules about how that works. When someone's got a service for a long period of time, like, yeah, I think off, off the top of my head, I think there's a there's a three month window where there will be consumer protection rights for an, for something for an annual purchase for something that's billed annually. Um, so one thing is when you go with shorter amounts like monthly, the the rights are the consumer has less rights. The longer the term, the more rights that they have. Now, so what 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 I will say is again the trend is that they will uh, initiate a chargeback, then the consumer will um, will continue going, the gym owner will say, no, well, actually you have to pay this, that, or the other. They'll continue to protest. And then it's like, it's just a question of if the gym owner wants to keep doing it. Like, is this a fight that I want to fight? Do I want to submit all of this information to Stripe and share a copy of the document, all of those things? I've seen gym owners prevail, but it is an investment of your time. And ideally, if you have a team and you have someone competent on your team, you could delegate that to them and, you know, and then you potentially do run the risk of this person leaving a review. So it's, it's a very personal decision. The thing, what you want to do is when it's all about how you craft these agreements. So, for example, if you're selling an annual membership, you're going to want to sell the annual membership for a certain price. But you can also include other services or goods in that. So you could let's say you have a, a copy of a book that you sell, like 
you know, a, a diet handbook or something like this or other freebies, a t-shirt, other things that you can include. Now, what the, the price of what they're paying for and what they're getting is a mix for the goods and services. So part of the services are an annual membership, but it was also, you know, like one free training session or, and there's no limit on what the cost of one free training session could be. You could say, oh, well, you know, it was in the event that you cancel, you would be charged for what that free training session was, which was $250. And I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but I'm just giving examples of things of how an agreement could be drafted that if someone cancels or terminates, okay, the main amount is this, but we still gave you certain benefits for something at a certain price. So there's a cancellation fee of X number of dollars and this is why, and you know what I mean? So let's say yeah. if you sell an annual yeah. membership for a thousand dollars and someone cancels in the first three months, there's a cancellation fee of $400. If they cancel after six months, it's $300. You, you have a CFO, you, you know, your numbers. I'm not the one who does that, but all I'm saying is legally there are things that you can do to protect yourself. Like sure. Someone is, someone has consumer protection rights around an annual membership, but you are also entitled to have things like cancellation fees included in that. And that's what the business owner needs to think about. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I like the bundle aspect because then you can put values on other things. They got those, you know, supplements, for example, something I'm thinking about nutrition plans, things like that, that have a, that have a, a value and you've delivered it all at that, all at the point of sale. And you, and you can say that if, if you, the, of those was subject to the completion of the annual sales. If not, this is what the price for each of those things would be. And that's one way to recoup the potential. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, good. We're, we're, we're firing on all cylinders here. Um, maybe the last question we'll get into, and I see this often overlooked, um, you know, the gym's excited to get into a new space. They're dealing with the landlord. The landlord's got the lease agreement. And it's always one-sided, obviously. Um, yeah. what, do you, what do you recommend? I mean, what are the, some of the pitfalls you're seeing with lease agreements and closures maybe that could be part of it? But like, you know, uh, one of the things that I, I'm just coming to the top of my head, one of the things I see a lot is like maintenance on equipment, like HVAC equipment on the roof or whatever. And that falls on the tenant versus the landlord. I know it can, everything's negotiable in the beginning. What are you seeing like uh, gym owners miss the most when it comes to lease agreements? The, the biggest issue, the biggest issue issue lately has always been around forced closures or limited capacity. So now anytime that I'm speaking with a client who's about to renegotiate or sign a new lease, you put in provisions. Okay. If we're closed for a certain period of time, we only have to pay this percentage of rent. If we're all only allowed limited capacity, we only have to pay the amount of rent for the capacity we're allowed to have. You want to, you, you have to understand that the lease is going to be for the most people. It's your bottom line, highest monthly expense. And so, and I'll, and I'll just share this for everyone, for everyone who's listening, the biggest problem, the, all of my clients who went under in 2020, almost all of them were lease related issues. Mm -hmm. um, and, and another thing that you want to turn your mind to is whether or not you're, you're giving a personal guarantee over this lease or not, because my clients who did not give a personal guarantee, um, had more leverage to renegotiate a new deal. Cause they're like, look, the LLCs, we're going to go bankrupt. We've got no money. So if you want to try to stop something, come to the table, when you've given a personal guarantee, once the LLC isn't able to fulfill that, the guarantor is responsible for paying any of the amounts. Sorry, that, that's just a bit of a, 
uh, tangent, but something that I wanted to make sure that I share. So um, the big things are about being able to use the specific space itself. So what if you're closed? What if the government forces you to close? What if you're only allowed limited capacity? Other than that, you're totally right that leases are one-sided in favor of the landlord. And you, the, the, the most important thing, and like, again, I'm a real person, I'm not great with math. You want to understand exactly what your expenses are going to be and what the foreseeable expenses are going to be. So if HVAC is on you or something like that is on you in the lease, you say to the landlord before you sign, please provide me historical data or information on what this was. There's always basic rent and then there's additional rent. You say, please provide me historical data on what additional rent is and all of these things because it's a, it's a massive expense. And I know people love signing leases and having spaces and showing them off and growing your community there. And like, I'm all about that. I want that for everyone, but just make sure you understand your exposure to liability of what you're responsible for paying. Yeah. And, and the one thing that I'll say, this is the most important and you've said it exactly. So, you know, the time to negotiate is before you sign the lease. If they're going to be fixing the place up, if there's guaranteed improvements, whatever it is, you make sure everything is exactly done perfectly before you sign that lease. Because the moment you sign that lease, the power balance in the relationship shifts completely. It's not drafted in your favor. It's, it's going to be very difficult to get out of. It's going to cost you a lot of money. And just make sure that you feel 110% about it and that you have full clarity of what your business model is, what your numbers are like, what commitment you're making, and that you feel confident in being able to deliver. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like there needs to be a attorney that is just, well, I mean, maybe this is you that just looks at leases because there's there's so many little things that... Um, you know, like, here's one example, you sign the lease, but the place is bare and you got to do a build out for eight weeks. Does the rent start after the eight weeks or the beginning, you know, an abated rent? Is it like all these things are negotiable? Um, and I'm, I'm becoming a landlord. So I'm already thinking about these things. Uh, I'm going to be building our building. So it's like, I already know the stuff that we had to deal with. Um, is this something your, your firm does? I would assume, right. You guys review leases. Yeah. We, we, we spend a lot of time dealing with leases. I've, I've spent a lot of time with leases and there it's, it's sort of a love hate relationship because, and again, you alluded to it. So, you know, of all of the agreements, it will always be the most one-sided agreement against the consumer. It, it's always in favor of the landlord. And like just a, a trick for everyone to know, you always want to use your own agreements because you've had your law, lawyer draft your agreements and they're prima facie, like, the first look for these agreements when your lawyer drafts it for you, it's in your best interest. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm drafting for a gym, my focus is 100% that this is going to be in the best interest of the gym. So when a landlord hands you an agreement, the, the landlord's lawyer was the one who drafted that to be drafted as, as strongly as possible in favor of the landlord. And people just don't realize that because they don't have so much legal acumen to appreciate the context of the documents. Right. Right. And especially in a new, like a new gym owner scenario. I mean, they're so excited. You just want to sign it get in there and get going and you just overlook stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's hundred percent. Anybody listening, if you're getting ready to sign a new lease, uh, have your team look at it. I don't assume you've ever had a landlord hand a, a tenant uh, a lease agreement and then you turn around and hand them a new one. Like we're not signing that when you sign this one that we wrote. I don't see 
difficult. It's never, it's never happened. Yeah. I've, I've done a lot of visions and a lot of edits, but also just what I'll just share and like nothing against landlords. I find most landlords are pretty lazy and like the, and their leases are pretty crap. Like sometimes I can't believe the amount of money that someone is going to spend for a document that's so poorly drafted and because they know that it's in their favor. So they don't really care. And they just probably, they've had a lot of success with people just signing the agreements anyways. And that's just what they do. And that's how they operate. And so long as people let them operate that way, they will continue to do so. Exactly. Well, if we've learned anything, boys and girls, it's uh, have a, a lawyer on your team that that's yeah, a lawyer, l- lawyer. Yeah. Before that, before you need it, I guess that's really the point. Everything you alluded to, Corey, in this in this conversation on the show has been preemptive. It's always been you know, writing the agreements to protect yourself uh, if you do get closed and, and keeping your memberships alive. But that's all has to happen in the beginning. It's like too a little too late if you wait. Yeah, the, the, the first day I became a lawyer, I went for lunch with my mentor and he told me the thing that you're going to explain to your clients is they can pay you now or they can pay you later. And that if you are a business owner and you're operating with a view to profit and to grow and to make this business your livelihood, working with the law and a lawyer will be inevitable. You could try to put it off and copy and paste at the start, but then, you know, you're going to pay me later when you need to fix the problem and it's going to be tens of thousands of dollars, or you can get everything organized at the beginning. Pay me now. I'm on your team. I'm supporting you. We hop on calls. I make sure that you understand everything that's going on. And, and the cool thing about being in fitness is like, we really, we do very, very limited things. We just basically review leases and drafts four types of agreements for gym owners. And, and so the, the things that when people are listening and they're like, Oh, I never thought of that. I never thought about that. I have that conversation every day. And that's why I'm, I'm here to help to, to bring awareness to those issues. Fantastic, Corey. Well, what's the, I'm sure you're going to have some interest. What's the best way for people to reach out to you and say, Hey, uh, if they need help. You can just, you can shoot me an email, Corey at consciouscouncil.ca. I'm sure in the show notes, we'll put a link to our different websites and just reach out. Hi, if you enjoyed it, it's, it's, I'm happy to meet everyone through this medium. And, um, and, and I'll just say, keep going. We have to keep going, stay strong. Things will turn. It'll, you know, it, it right now it's a rough period, but things will turn and it'll get better. And most importantly, our clients need us. People need to be healthy. Guys. So keep going. And I, I appreciate and acknowledge all of you. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Corey. Thanks for joining us. Um, and that's it for this episode, guys. Until next show, keep changing lives. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Built to Grow podcast, where we help gym owners win. Now, do you want to connect with me and other gym owners online? All you have to do to join our private Facebook group, Business Talk with Fitness Professionals right now is to head on over to Facebook, type in Business Talk with Fitness Professionals. And when you join, we're going to give you access to our 10 strategies, seven figure gym owners use to win. All right. I look forward to you joining us next time on the Built to Grow podcast. Keep building something great.